Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is both practical and contemporary, that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. You know, there are some times in life when going and continuing to go becomes particularly difficult. Think of, think of Abraham. We read earlier in the service from Genesis the promise that God gave to Abraham. It was a promise. Abraham believed it, but he had no evidence, no way of seeing that what God had promised would actually come to pass. At one point, God simply told Abraham, Abraham, pick up your stuff, pick up your people, and let's go. And I'm I'm assuming Abraham must have wondered, going where? And God told him, let's go. Do we have a map? Nope. Do we have a destination? Nope. What do we have? Just get up and go. You know, there are moments we don't, we don't see. We don't see what's, God, what's ahead of us. We don't see what God has in mind for us, what God has in store for us. All that we see is how uncomfortable it is at the moment, the situation at hand. For a man like Abraham to get up and go with all that he had, but you might think it's not a big deal, it's not so much, but actually I wonder how many of us will actually do that. We are creatures of habit, creatures of comfort. We, we, like, we like things to be right. We want things to be right, and, and we don't like to be out of our comfort zone. We don't like to be exposed to the uncertainties because what we don't know scares us. But what does it have to do with Luke chapter 9? I think it has a great deal to, to do with that, and, and we, will see, we will see that momentarily. But before we look at, at, at our passage of today, Luke chapter 9, verses 28 to 36, let's look a little bit at the background. Because Luke begins this statement here with the, the, an indication some eight days after these sayings, so it is connected with something else. And it's interesting, if you look at verse 18, Jesus earlier had asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they, they said it was John the Baptist. Others thought it was Elijah. Others, one of the prophets of old, had risen again. Then he asked them, what do you say that I am? And they say, you are the Christ, Messiah, the anointed one of God. Well, you may think that's the right answer, right? But then something happened. Jesus warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone. Why would Jesus tell the disciples not to say anything to anyone? Isn't that curious? And then in verse 22, it says that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed or crucified and be raised up on the third day. 
Now Luke omits that part, but in Matthew 16, in verses 22 and 23, in Mark 8, verses 32 and 33, something is added that I think is very, very important. Matthew 16, 22, 23, Peter took him aside, took Jesus aside. After Jesus said he was going to be killed and raised the, th- the third day, Peter took him aside and, sa- and rebuked him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Can you imagine that? But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's interests. We like the status quo. We like things to be just the way we imagine them to be. But that may not be God's plan at all. It's clear that the people that had heard about Jesus had the wrong idea about Messiah. It is also clear that the disciples himself had the wrong idea about Messiah. And that may just be why Jesus told them not to relate these things to anybody because they did not yet understand what Messiah was all about. And I suspect that if they were going around sharing their thoughts with other people, they might have not said the right things. So even though Peter said, you are the Messiah, his idea of Messiah was wrong. He thought Messiah was a leader that was going to free Judah from the Roman invasion, like many people, probably most people in those days did. Luke comes up and says, some eight days after. And and here, I know that some people will compare that with Matthew and Mark, who say and write six days after that. And say, what do you mean? Matthew says six days after. Mark says six days after. Luke says some eight days later. What's going on? Is there a contradiction in Scripture? Is Scripture so inaccurate? Not really. In Luke, you find an approximation, and the approximation means that he probably counted the day of the last day of the events and the first day when these things occur as part of that somewhat eight days, meaning not necessarily full eight days, but approximate no big deal but what happened then some eight days after jesus took along peter and john and james and went up on the mountain to pray nothing unusual in that nothing particularly special it's what jesus used to do but this time he took peter john and james with him and while he was praying something very unusual occurred. The presence of his face became different. In Matthew 17, it's written, it became like the sun. Now notice the the picture painted here. The face of Jesus, the body of Jesus, begins to radiate light like the sun. And his clothing became white and gleaming. And again, in the other gospel, it's just like light. You may see the brilliance of light, but you know where the light comes from. It comes from the sun. So why do I stress it? And why do I think that that is important? I think that that is important because we see a glory being manifest, but it's not a glory from outside. When Moses went in the presence of God in the tabernacle, Moses came outside of a tabernacle with kind of a glowing appearance. And Paul teaches us that he had to cover that glowing, but Paul tells us that the reason for covering that glowing appearance was to hide the fading away of that glowing. You see, Moses had some, quote-unquote, glory or brilliance, but it was from outside. It was from being exposed to the presence of God. 
In Jesus' case here, it wasn't from outside, it was from within. His body began to, to be beaming light like the sun. The clothes looked like light, but yeah, but the light did not come from the clothes. The light did not come from outside. The light and, that light that they saw, this image, indicated the glory from within. I'm thinking it must be kind of a scary view. In a way, maybe amazing. And behold, two men were talking with him, and those two men were Moses and Elijah. Now people ask themselves a lot of questions when they read these things, and they say, why Moses and Elijah? But I think there is something happening in here. There is a picture that God is painting for us, a very important picture that I think it would be good for us to understand. Moses was used by God to give the law. Elijah represented the prophets. And so look at that. The law and the prophets speak of who? Of Jesus, of Messiah. And so we have here scripture represented by the people that God used to bring scripture to us. Moses, the law, Elijah representing the prophets. And so the law and the prophets speak of Jesus Christ. And what do they speak of? Notice, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What does the law speak about? Well, it speaks about Messiah and his departure. What do the prophets speak about? They speak about Messiah and his departure. What does the departure mean? It means the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, the Son of God, Messiah, the anointed one of God. Can you see the picture? Pretty clear. God was actually given a message and said, look, you think about Messiah in a certain way. You think about Messiah as an individual who has to free you, your, your, your country, from the, the invasion and dominion of the Romans, but Messiah is so much more. Remember the promise made to Abraham, his descendants will be like the stars, innumerable. And that's interesting because that promise was fulfilled through Messiah. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, and why would they be overcome with sleep and then be fully awake? Well, listen, in the presence of a scene like that, in the presence of radiant light like that, I think I would wake up too. So I'm assuming the disciples woke up and, whoa, whoa, what, what happened here? And they saw this beautiful image in front of them, this vision, I believe. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with them. So they saw what happened. Verse 33, and as these were leaving him, meaning Moses and Elijah were leaving him, Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Luke here is merciful, because at this point, Luke adds, he didn't realize what he was saying. Once again, remember Matthew 16, when Jesus told him what was to happen, Peter comes up and says, God forbid, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus mentioning to, to Peter, you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's interests. You're thinking like a man. You're not thinking like God. You're not understanding, Peter, what Messiah is all about. You don't understand the purpose of God. Peter saw the glory of Messiah. Peter saw the glory of Christ. Peter saw Moses and Elijah, but didn't quite understand at that point what was all about. And so what did he do? It's interesting, the reference to the tabernacles. Because they used to keep a feast of tabernacles where they would put up huts or temporary dwellings for seven days and dwell in them and observe their feasting them as a reminder that we are 
here as a transitory time, and this is not the end of it all. God has a kingdom in, in mind, and so they were looking, remembering the promise of God as he took them out of Egypt and led them out of Egypt and promised a kingdom for them, and that Feast of Tabernacle reminded them of this messianic times, a time in which the kingdom of Israel would be glorious. So Peter saw this glory, he saw this beautiful, amazing vision, and he thought of the kingdom, and probably in his mind he connected the Feast of Tabernacles with that, and he said, Lord, shall we build three tabernacles for you? This is good for us to be here. I mean, here, this is, this is the kingdom, this is awesome, this is wonderful. Is it? Except for one thing, Peter did not realize, Peter didn't have a clue what he was saying, because Peter did not understand God's plan. Yeah, I, wonder, I wonder how many times... We want to stay on the mountaintop. You know what I mean with the mountaintop? Those moments of epiphanies, those moments of closeness with God, those moments, maybe, maybe you were in a, in a retreat. Maybe you are in a special moment, in a special time with a special fellowship. Maybe it's, it's, a, it's a prayer time. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a vacation in, in some location that really is inspiring as well. Or maybe you just faced death. And as you faced death, you were reminded of the fact that the, the best is coming and you want to be there and you want to stay there. I heard people in retreats sometimes saying, this is so inspiring. This is so awesome. I don't want to go back. I heard people being close to their death and said, oh man, this is so awesome. I don't want to go back. I don't want to suffer more. I want to be there. But perhaps you don't understand that God has a plan. God has a purpose. You see, because if we don't face the reality and the problems of daily life, that means that we don't fulfill God's purpose. Staying on the mountaintop prevents us from fulfilling the will of God, prevents us to minister to others. Jesus had a job to accomplish, the most important job ever in all of history, in all of the universe. Jesus had a job to fulfill. And what Peter said, that Peter's desire to just keep the moment going, Peter's desire to keep that glorious moment going would have negated, would have been in the face of that purpose that God had and was fulfilling at that moment. And that would have cost your salvation and mine. Our times of renewal are not an end to themselves. They're beautiful times. And by all means, nothing wrong with them. They're good. They're necessary, but they're a way for us to recharge so that we can return to serve the Lord and to minister to others according to his will, just like Jesus wants. Jesus Christ did. You know, some people say it, it's easy to have faith on the mountaintop. It is. It is easy to have faith on the mountaintop. But what about the valley of the shadow of death when you need to walk after that mountaintop? You are on the mountaintop right now, and that's easy to trust God. It's easy to have faith. It's easy to be with them. It's easy to, to play the game sometimes. But then after the mountaintop, here comes a valley, that infamous valley of the shadow of death. That's where faith is really necessary. That's where that moment of recharging, of rejuvenating, a reinvigorating on the mountaintop is necessary for because after that we need to face that valley again. And as we face that valley, we need the charge that God has given us at that mountaintop. And you know what? It would be good if we think of our life that way. It would be good if we think of our services that way. We are not here for the entertainment, are we? 
We are here to praise God. We are here to worship God. We are here to be in his presence. We are here to honor him. We are here to share in that communion with one another and to recharge ourselves so that when we walk out of this building, we go through those valleys of the shadow of death and we are surrounded by issues and problems and trials and difficulties. We will be better equipped to face them and to serve the Lord in that field, a field that many of us would rather not be in, a field that many of us perhaps would rather do without. I'm tired, I hear people say. Some people might say, well, I, I, I like going on vacation. I like going to those beautiful places. And here I am, immersed in nature, immersed in, in what God created, and it's so beautiful and it's so great. Now, by the way, it may be beautiful because somebody cleaned it up. It may be beautiful also because somebody put the restroom not too far from there because you know how some people, and especially some ladies are, they, they need the restroom nearby. And, and so, so that is fine, great, okay, it's wonderful. But sometimes I hear this comment, I don't want to leave, I want to stay here. And it's almost like what Peter said, it's good for us to be here. So let's make some tabernacles and stay here. And Jesus said, no, I have a mission to accomplish. And that mission is in Jerusalem, where I will be captured, I will be scourged, I will be killed, I will be buried and I will rise again for you because otherwise you have no hope. I'm thinking, wow, Lord, give me your, give me your heart. Give me your heart so that in those moments of light, in those moments in which I feel so close to that goal that we all have to share in his glory, I may not think like Peter, but I may think like you. Remember the Apostle Paul, he said at one point, he said, you know, it would be so much more convenient for me to just be with the Lord. And yet, you still need me, so I'll be here. And it's good for me to be here because you still need me. Now, he said that while he was in prison, in chains, tired, facing execution. But whatever time he had, he says, whatever time I have, I better spend it to serve you and minister to you because that's my calling in Jesus Christ. There are no shortcuts. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and killed and be raised up on the third day. No shortcut. You know why? It's not because Jesus needed all of this. It's because you and I needed all of this. He didn't do it for himself. I mean, he was perfectly nice and comfortable the way he had been since eternity's past. He didn't have to go through all this, did he? But he did it for us. Verse 34, please. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Why would they be afraid? This cloud meant something to the disciples because the cloud represented God's glory. Remember in Exodus how the cloud and, and the glory of God filled the tabernacle and how the pillar of cloud that led the Israelites all through the wilderness. And then remember in the temple, how the glory of God filled the temple and a cloud filled that. And so they see this cloud, they connect the dots, they understand all this. And wow, wait a minute, we are in the presence of the glory of God in here. And then something else happened. A voice came out of a cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. The first part reminds me of what happened at the baptism with John the Baptist. This is my son in whom I, have, I am well pleased. But here it says something else. It says something else that connects us with that Moses that was there in that vision, in that moment, in that transfiguration. 
Because Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 15 says, a greater prophet, a prophet greater than I am, will come and listen to him. To him you will listen. Moses told the people of Israel to listen to Christ, to listen to Messiah. And God now from the cloud, in the presence of the glory of God, in the presence of this vision, states, this is my son, my chosen one. This is the one you are to listen to. This is the one that Moses told you about. But why? Why should we listen to him? I think the biggest question is, who is Messiah? Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus, the anointed one. Because if we determine who he is, it also determines our response to him. We are to listen to him because he is the Son of God. We are to listen to him because he is God speaking for himself. While until that point we heard the word of God through the prophets, here we have God speaking on his own for himself. He is to be listened to because he is the chosen one, because he is the anointed one, because he is Messiah, because he is the Savior. He is to be listened to because of who he is. What do we seek? Jesus rebuked Peter because he was setting his mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. I'm wondering, what do we set our mind on? Do we set our hearts and our minds on the things of God? Or do we set our hearts and minds on the things of man? Because if we set our minds on the things of man, then, then we, we, we start bartering with God. Okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, Abraham would say. I'm going to go as long as you give me a map. And I know exactly where we're going, where we're stopping, where do I find the water, where do I find the food along the journey. And God says, no, you're looking at the matter as a man. You're not looking at it from God's perspective. We were bartered with God and we say, okay, God, I'm willing to serve you, but you've got to tell me exactly every step of the way what I need to do. And God says, no, there's no faith in that. I didn't create you to be a machine. I didn't create you to be a, a little toy for me to play with and toy with. No, I created for you to have faith and to trust me even when you don't see what I'm calling you for. Because my wisdom is so much greater than your wisdom. Because if God gave us a map, if God gave us a path, we would set our minds on that like man does, not like God does. Because in the mind of man, listen, I don't have time for you. I've got to get there. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? Sorry, I don't have time for this. I have to get there. Sorry, son, I don't have time for you. I have to finish this job. Sorry, wife, I don't have time for you. I have to go over there. Sorry, congregation, I don't have time for you because I have to get there. We would set our mind on getting there at the cost of everything on the way. God's mind is not that way, brothers and sisters. God's mind is different because God says, yes, I'll take you there. I'll take you to the promised land. But you know how many things you're going to accomplish on the path? You know how many things I am going to do through you and with you on the, in that journey? I'm going to teach you lessons. I'm going to make you a beacon of light. I'm going to have you touch other people's lives. Yes, whether those people are important people or, in, or people on the street, on the corner of the street, whether those individuals are professionals or, or individuals with other the job, whether they're in the hospital or in a mansion, who cares? They are people, they are children of God, they need to be touched in some way. So along your journey, you will count, encounter them, you will cross paths with them, and I will use you, even without you knowing, I will use you to be a witness for me in their life, to touch their lives, so their life will never be the same. And you'll bear fruit 
Not because of your work, not because of your agenda, but because I am using you and I am the creator God. I am your savior. I am your Lord. I am the captain of your salvation. I am the one who leads you, not you. And you know what? It is then that we can put our hearts at peace. Even though I have no idea where I'm going. Even though God has told you to get up and go, and you say, where, Lord? And he says, don't bother, don't worry. Just get up and go, follow my, my lead, and you will see. All right, I have no idea. I don't know why these things are happening. I don't know what's going on. But I do know one thing. The Lord has promised. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you, even to the very end. Do you experience it? A mountaintop experience? Do you experience a moment of epiphany, a moment of joy, a moment of exaltation? Praise God. God is with you. Do you experience a slip, a fall? God is with you. Do you experience a downfall where you feel you're hit in the bottom? You're not alone. God is with you. Do you experience questions that you have no answer to? You're not alone. God is with you. And as God is with you, he will lead you and he will guide you in all things Thank you. And he will make sure that his work is being done. Because that's not your work. It is his work. So our job is not to tell him what to do. Our job is to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Whatever you will, I'll follow you. Let us listen to him. As God says, this is my son in whom I will please. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Let us listen to him. And let us put our faith in him. Whether we understand our next steps or not, it doesn't matter because it's not your journey. It's not my journey. It is his journey. Peter didn't get it. Sometimes we don't get it, but he does. And I'll remind you one more time. I know I said this so many times, but it doesn't matter. I want to remind you one more time. God loves you. In his love, he wants the very, 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 very best for you. And that's why he draws you to himself, because he is the source of all good. And apart from him, there is nothing good. So if he wants to give you what is best for you, the ultimate good, he will have to draw you to himself, right? Because he is the source of all that good. In his love, he wants your best. In his wisdom, he knows what your best is, even when you don't get it. It doesn't depend on your wisdom. In his wisdom, he knows what that is. And in his power, he has all that it takes to make it happen, to bring it about. So put your trust in him. Put your faith in him. Whether you see things or don't see things, doesn't matter. Trust him. Put your faith in him. Let him guide your life. And you will see that he will guide your life in a brilliant way, in an awesome way. And yes, I know, there are times in life that we don't want to see. I don't think that Jesus was craving to be scourged and crucified and killed. I think that humanity within him, because he was fully God, yes, but also fully human, I think that humanity within him was cringing at the idea of going through all that ordeal. There have been times in my life that I saw as being very dark times. Times of pain, sorrow, grief. And to be honest with you, I would never sign up for them. But I have to look back and praise God for those times because without those times, I would be a mess, and so would you. It's the same for all of us. In one way or another, it's the same for all of us. We're not unique. We're not so different from one another. God leads us in similar ways. Not every, everyone identical, no, but he leads us in similar ways. He allows us to experience the mountaintops, and then he allows us to experience the valleys. But in every case, in every moment, he is with you, so trust him. 
Have faith in him. Let him guide you, and he will see that you will reach the promised land at the right time, in the right way, having served him. And you will hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant, because you've been faithful over some small things that I gave you to do. Be in charge of great things as I share my glory with you. Let that be your path. God bless you.